If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus. Hey guys, and welcome to Personality Bingo with me, your host, Tom Warren. So this week on the podcast, we have Finbar Doyle. Finbar is an actor and a writer based here in Dublin. He is the co-founder of Sickle Moon Productions uh, with the wonderful Jenna Debris, who you would have heard on last week's podcast. Finbar is going to be a part of the cast of Trist at the Project Arts Centre downstairs in the wonderful Black Box Theatre. Trist is a play that Finbar wrote with the wonderful Jedda Debris, who you were heard last week, as I mentioned. And he's going to be on stage with former guests of the podcast, Katie McCann and the wonderful Cloda Mooney Duggan. Um, the play has got rave reviews in the Dublin Fringe Festival 2015 and they're delighted to be bringing it back to Dublin now. I'd advise you to get tickets for that one ASAP because I think it will sell out. It's there for two weeks, as I said, from April 3rd to April 14th. Uh, I'm actually recording this introduction from the bathrooms in the Mill Theatre because uh, I'm in the middle of uh, our last show for Romeo and Juliet, which has been an absolute ball and a massive thank you to all the cast and crew for just making it such a gorgeous experience. Uh, and I'm really excited to be getting straight stuck into lyrics uh, coming to the theatre upstairs from the 30th of March to the 14th of April. So what you've got to do is you've got to make it a double header of tryst and lyrics over those couple of weeks. Uh, it's brilliant to see so much new work happening uh, in Dublin. And as I said, I'd be forever grateful if you come out and support lyrics. Uh, it's something that I've poured uh, a lot of my um, time and energy and heart into uh, I'm really proud of it and we've got such a brilliant cast in Danielle Galligan uh, director in Romana Testaseca and a, a wonderful design team and loads of behind the scenes stuff that I'll talk about in a bit more detail at a later date but as I said guys the tickets are available from the Theatre Upstairs website you'll find all the details on my Twitter uh, at the Squad uh, Facebook page and um, you'll find it if you just give it a little Google and um, we would love to see you there um, in other news yeah I think that's it guys um, it, it's really exciting times for um, lyrics to be going ahead as I said the podcast will always be here it'll always be free as part of the Headstuff Podcast Network but what I do to make my bread and butter is I act and I write so if you want to come out and support me and in turn support the podcast I would love to see you at Lyrics coming to the theatre upstairs in Dublin City Centre very soon other than that guys please enjoy the wonderful Finbar Doyle playing personality bingo with Tom Moran Finbar, do I ready to play personality bingo? Yes, I am. All right, sweet. So I'll give a quick explainer of how it all works. So I'm going to put 60 minutes on the clock. Cool. Uh, I've got 60 questions here uh, and then 60 balls with corresponding numbers. Uh, I've also given you five uh, randomly uh, attained numbers there. Would you do me a favour and read out those five? Yep. So I have eight. Yes. 28, yes. 5, yes. 14, yeah. and 39. Nice. Would you do me a favour and pick a number between 1 and 60 that's not already there and just scribble it down? Do you have to see this? Yeah, you can tell me. It was very dramatic what you did there. You just covered your eyes. I covered my eyes because for some reason I thought I was seeing something. Oh, wow. Um, like a ghost <laughs> or something? No, I know. <laughs> like a ghost. It's in the, yeah, the house is haunted. No, I thought like I was. you were picking another ball and I wasn't to see it, but then how would I write it down? Um, this is the kind of house that could be haunted. It is, yeah. I think I kind of anticipate that it is. It's too cold to be haunted. Or maybe the reason it's cold is that it's haunted. Yeah. Uh, I can pick any number 1 to 60. Uh, yeah, that's not already there, yeah. I'm going to pick number three. It's my birthday. Lovely. 3rd of January. 88. Uh, nice. Yeah. Jenna picked two. Really? Read into that what so you maybe will. Maybe the next person will pick one and then you'll have a countdown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which would be nice. Um, Why'd you pick two, I wonder? That's not significant to me. 
thinking about her. I can tell you why, because I asked her. Oh, she, shit. She just said, she just said, like, I kind of just felt it. And I was like, fucking gorgeous. <laughs> she, that's a ghost thing. She's being haunted. She, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you ever seen a ghost? No. Okay. I've I, I, I never seen a ghost, but when I was a kid, once, uh, and only once, a bunch of friends of mine, we were down in a friend's house, a friend's family's house in, I'm going to say Wexford, and we were in a graveyard churchyard, and we took a video. And for the first time, and only time, and I still recall it, when we watched the video back, there was a bit, and it was just a pan of the thing, the video just glitched a bit, kind of, and and if you wanted to be superstitious, you could go, ooh, ghost. Mm. That was the only time I've ever seen something, I was maybe 15, that I kind of went, ooh, that could be a ghost. Yeah. I don't think it was a ghost. Yeah. But it was the only part, the only time I ever went, ooh, maybe. It's funny, because like, you guys, like, even Jetta was talking about it, you know, with, with Sickle Moon, and how you've done like a lot of Halloween, like, based mm. work, and that sort of stuff. It's just so, yeah, it's interesting. And like, just like, you know, your aesthetic as a thing. Like, it's, like <laughs> you belong, you are the butler in a horror film. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like, oh, no, I'm obsessed. I mean, I, I definitely love all things kind of, uh, I mean, gothic is such a kind of uh, obvious word to use. Mm. But it, there is a whole kind of weird aesthetic that I've always admired since I was a kid. Not admired. I've always liked since I was a kid. I'm not like a little, little arse, little twiddling my moustache, art critic child. Um, but when I met Jenna, I realised, because I, I think I became an actor largely because of wanting to dress up. And it wasn't until I met Jenna that I realised, you can kind of dress up every day and nobody would really ask you why. Because you can just be who you are. And, and uh, I think that was very inspirational to me to meet someone who was like, no, this is who I am. I'm like, that's pretty cool. I'm going to do that too. Yeah. So it's all her fault. Well, she, right. she is the aesthetic. Well, it's good to know who to blame. Yes, exactly. For all the waistcoats. I know. Uh, yeah. I'm more waistcoat than man. I think I'm, I'm <laughs> You're literally <laughs> sitting next to one, yeah. Sorry, I, 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 that's the, for the ghost to wear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I should say that if uh, all six of your numbers do come out, that means the tables are turned and you get to ask me any questions. Has that time. ever happened? Not yet. No, yes, you say that's such optimism. I mean, I have faith. Yeah, I got the faith. Um, I was very tempted when it happened. When I, I was, uh, we were talking about doing this. I was very tempted to just give like one word answers to all the questions, and just not have much of a personality. But that's not not having a personality. It's just a type type of personality, and yeah. thereby I would get to ask you a question. But I got no idea, no idea what I'd even ask you. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk. We'll 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 have the chats. It's <laughs> less of an interview than a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, you can ask. And I was like, <laughs> I can, yeah, yeah. Fuck off. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Oh no, no. You must get your numbers to ask me a question. These are the rules. <laughs> kind of feel like the the genie of the bingo machine. You know? <laughs> uh, all right. First out the gate is number forty nine. Do you have it? Uh, I've got 39, does that count? No. Okay, then. Uh, number 49, oh, I like this one. What do you think people's first impressions of you are? Uh, who's that guy in the hat? I don't know. That's something that I've always been slightly anxious about. Because um, I think I'm I'm kind of... I was, no, I was going to, about to say, I don't want to talk too much about my personality. And I think that's kind of the point, isn't it? Um, I'm, I've kind of got two very distinct halves. I've got like a very... Um, boisterous and kind of outlandish side of my personality that certainly comes through in, in some of my work but then I think at heart like I, I think everybody says this about themselves but I think at heart I'm actually I'm actually quite quiet or not quiet I'm quite introverted in a lot of ways mm. and I think a lot of actors have that yeah. that they have that kind of need to uh, um, explain elements of themselves maybe um but yeah, no, I think I have kind of two sides. I always one of my favorite movies is the movie Sideways. Have you seen it? Uh, Paul Giamatti and Thomas Hayden Church. Yes. It's a great movie. It's one of my favorite films. It's still, I saw it when I was maybe seventeen, and I don't think I was the target demographic at all because mm-hmm. they're middle-aged men having a crisis. Um, but I loved it at the time, and I I still use that movie as an example that 
those two characters are like the two halves of my brain. There's like the neurotic questioning side, and then there's the big extrovert actor side. And I think that, I mean, that's why double acts are a thing, is that you have those challenges and you have those uh, inherent contradictions. And everybody is obviously a bundle of contradictions. But I think first impression of me is that guy, uh, it's one of two things. Either that guy's quite... uh, uh, forward and and loud and boisterous and I think he might be good crack mm. or that guy's an obnoxious twat what's his deal and I don't think either is wrong <laughs> I don't think either of them is a wrong impression I think I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea but I think I've I've been doing what I've been doing for long enough now that I'm as far as anybody in our broken millennial generation can be quite confident about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. It's a wordy answer. I, I'm being. I'm now. I'm. I'm nitpicking here, but I'm just curious. Do, do you know broken millennial generation? Yeah. Is that something you mean? <clears throat> oh, definitely. Yeah. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think? I, th- I think. Um, I was talking to this about. A fr- I was at a friend's thirtieth uh, the other day, and I was talking to her mother uh, about about our generation. And um, <laughs> that sounds like we were again. All these things make me sound like I, I walk. I wear a smoking jacket and a pipe, and I won't. But I'm pretty sure I will eventually get a pipe when I'm not afraid of getting cancer, um, <laughs> which is all the time forever. <laughs> um, I was saying that like we have. We you, when you say what are your twenties like, you have like an automatic images of what twenties are. And when you say, what are 40s like? You have like a kind of automatic series of images in a weird way. But when you say, what are your 30s like? All the images that come to you are things that we don't have as a generation. You're not going to buy a house mm-hmm. necessarily. And certainly in our industry. Yeah. You're not likely to buy a house. You're not likely to immediately get married and have kids. You might eventually. But I think a lot later than, than our parents' generations would have. So I think 30s as a decade is like a blank gap for us. And it's and it's something I've been thinking about a lot recently because I turned thirty. I'm not sure if you can tell. I turned thirty on on the third of January, and I've been I've been very much uh, anticipating and anxious about it for for a long time. Um, and uh, I think we have to make our own. Like, part of what this is is making your own landmarks and making your own uh, checkpoints along the way for a decade that now the traditional route is not really an option. Not, I mean, it is. It is an option, but it's a less likely option, I think, mm. for uh, for artists in particular and artists of our age in particular. Um, you know, you hear all kinds of stories of uh, artists older than me. Like, I know several actors. I, I, I worked with There's like, when I was young, you know, we got to kind of go to the bank and we kind of fudged the details on our on our income and then we got a mortgage whereas like that just wouldn't really happen now like myself and Jetta in particular like we neither of us have really uh, what you call steady employment um, so it's, it is that kind of weird thing where uh, as a generation I think we're just I mean like it's classically like we're lost but mm. like we are we, we're definitely or we're, lost is the right term we're, we're, we are uh, less tied to traditional um Markers or, or or traditional indicators that things are going well, and that I think is a cause for anxiety as a, as a whole bunch of us. Like I think our whole generation, most of us are in therapy or in in a, in a way far more than our parents' generation are. And I'm not sure that's not that our parents don't need therapy. I'm sure they could use a good fucking boost of it. Um, <laughs> but um, I think that like when you came out of college toward thirty years ago, you had. And this sounds like I'm making excuses. I, I hope that doesn't sound like that. But mm-hmm. like, you come out of college and you have a 
good or you don't go to college which is also quite likely in 30 40 years ago and then um you get a good job you might get married you have kids and then you're kind of suddenly in a rhythm whereas we don't we our 20s have been rhythmless you know and i think having the time to ask yourself those questions is why we are so reflective and why we are so like so much of our media now or so much of like you seem like one thing about it's, I, have to, I have to think of an artist now yeah. who is not disgraced because my first go-to would have been Louis C.K. unfortunately yeah, but yeah, that, yeah. that um, like Search Party have you seen Search Party? no it's T, I think it's TBS and Alia Shawkat is in it and she's a maybe from Arrested Development and she's a producer on the, on the lead uh, actor and it's it's like the, fir- the first thing I've seen of like a millennial TV show that isn't just about kind of wandering around the streets of the city and going what are we about? what are we doing? Um, yeah. It's which is everything. And oh, don't get me wrong; I've, I've literally written and done and been in those those things, and they're not not necessarily a bad thing, but they're now already a trope. Yeah, uh, and there's nothing wrong with tropes if they're deployed well, shape of water. Um, but uh, yeah, um, it's the first thing where I've seen like it's a, it's a murder mystery uh, or it's a who done it a missing person case that's woven into our generation's mindset. That's the first time I've seen. And I haven't, thought, I haven't watched the second series. It's the first time I had seen a classic of the genre kind of uh, skewed through a modern late 20s sensibility. I think loads of... Me and Jed have been having these conversations recently where um, we've been doing applications for, for uh, playwriting initiatives. And um, one thing we kept using was, oh, it's a bunch of young people. It's a bunch of young people. It's the young people doing this. And I went, like, we're not young people necessarily anymore. Like, we're 30s now. Well, I certainly am. Jed is a bit younger than I am. But, like, we're now just people, uh, which is a weird thing to admit to yourself when you've been kind of leaning into the narrative of we don't have to... Or it'll sort itself out eventually and then I'll be a person. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a sombering realisation that it's not necessarily going to change and this is what your life will be and that's quite freeing as well. Um, like, what, when you were... Because, like, I know you didn't study acting like a lot of, like, actors. And now that's oh, what you yeah. do and you're an actor and writer. You see the law. When you were, when you were say, 18, is this what you thought 30 would look like? I don't know. Um, I mean, yes and no. You know, I mean, in, when I was 18, I was going into college to, to study law at UCD. And, and I told my, 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 you know, my folks who are wonderful and incredibly supportive, I had said to them, you know, I want to be an actor and I, I want, I entertain the notion of, of uh, going for the gaiety and, and stuff. Um, and at the time, the general consensus was that you should just kind of get a fallback uh, option. And I like doing debating and fucking anyway, and I was a real stupid nerd at school. Um, and so I enjoyed studying the law, uh, but I never really intended, I think, on following through. What I said when I graduated was I'm going to take a few years to try the acting and then I'll go back to the law if it doesn't work out. And then I realised there is no such thing as working out. I mean, working out is, you know, you know you're know, you the lead in Game of Thrones. I mean, that's, that happens to six people and only six people and that's fine. Um, but, I mean, working out for me is am I, am I living, am I just about, am I paying my rent, am I eating food, am I, have I got a roof over my head, and am I doing what I want to do? And the answer, incredibly luckily to all of those quest- answers is, is uh, questions is yes. I'm, I'm, I'm doing what I want to do. Um, so is this what I thought 30 would look like? No, because 12 years ago, you think in 12 years I'm going to be 
a fucking movie star. Yeah. Or, you know, I mean, you don't want that to be the, but you certainly want, you certainly think of that idealized mm-hmm. situation. But like, no, I'm, I'm acting in theater. I'm doing plays. It's great. Um, I don't know if it's what I thought I would be doing, but I'm, it's certainly within the wheelhouse of what I wanted to do. And does it make you feel like angry or jealous or any of those things that because of what we do, that we can't have the mortgage, it's more difficult to have kids, it's, it sometimes feels impractical to get married, these kind of things? I, that's a good question. I guess uh, several of my uh, good friends, one of my best friends from school, uh, who, who was never, not to say he isn't artistic, he's a lovely guy, uh, but he, he didn't want to be an actor, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, he's gone into a, a job now where he has very strong kind of job security, he's married to a wonderful woman, he's got two sons now, and like, Wow. He's yeah, like it, that's crazy. It's crazy to look at at what he has and go, do I do I want that? Um, and if so, am I? Am, I mean, am I jealous of it? Not necessarily, because like I'm I'm in a committed relationship. Like I have that the strongest, or not the strongest part. I'm not comparing the elements of it. Mm. But you know, he has a house and everything, and it's and he's you know he's he's living his dream, which is great. I've knocked a thing. Sorry, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm living my dream to a degree, and. Uh, I think I, I went out with a, with a for a for another friend's thirtieth, a different friend's thirtieth. They're rolling around, yeah. and he's one of my other close. The two guys, Steve and Dave, uh, are my two closest friends from school. And uh, Dave is he was in my band. We were in school together. He's a drummer, and he's now a lawyer. Uh, you know, he he went to Trinity, uh, but we both studied law together, kind of concurrently. And uh, he, everybody at the at the thirtieth uh, were all lawyers. And they were all people who worked in the law, and they're all junior barristers. Or I'm not sure that's the correct term, but they're all working on cases. Like they're not like um, devils anymore. Mm. Um, and it was very interesting to speak to them and talk to them and see what their view of life is like and what they are, what their kind of day to day is. Because it was a very nearly a path they went down. Um, but by the same token, it is funny how you take for granted people who work in an artistic circles and who understand what our life is like mm. like the first thing the first I, I got, it's been a long time since they've been asked like are you on tv or what are you in uh what do i what, what do i've seen you in and like you don't obviously you don't ask other actors that or you don't you because we all know what the actual day-to-day is i'm on the dole and i sit at home and maybe i might watch some netflix if i can afford seven euro this month um or you know steal it off my parents sorry ma'am um <laughs> But yeah, no, I, 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 speaking to them, and this is no indictment of them as people, I was like, I don't think I made the wrong decision. Yes. I don't think, I don't, I wasn't looking at them going, God, I wish I was a lawyer. Yes. Uh, so no, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's going fine. And in that way that they looked at you, you looked at them, what way do you think they look at you? Because there's got to be... I don't know, like even, I mean, I'm, I'm an eccentric, even by, by most people's standards, you know, I, I wanted it in a tailcoat and a bowler hat they probably thought I was working there no where was it it was Fade Street Social no they could have thought I was an eccentric barman <laughs> um, I don't know what they think what they would think they, they'd definitely be like what's his deal and I don't know is that something that you want to provoke like uh, you know so I, I have a, a, a relatively eccentric sense of personal style for want of a better word and you ask yourself that question of course as, as a neurotic 30 something millennial per- am I a millennial maybe I'm older or younger than I don't know uh, you do ask yourself like why do you wear the clothes you wear especially something that's kind of a little outside the norm are you doing it for the attention mm. 
Uh, and then is the question of, do you not do everything for attention? Is that not what your life is? Yeah. Is your life as an actor not seeking attention? Right. Uh, in, in ways that are guaranteed to give it to you. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're not going to, we're not going to go out on stage and nobody's not going to listen to us unless we're like truly awful. Uh, but even bad attention is still attention. And you wonder like, what is that need? What is that, um, what is that desire? And where does that stem from? Because there, even within actors, there are so many different personalities. Yes. But we all still have that, the desire to perform. Yeah. Surely, logically. I mean, you have to, right? Maybe, maybe, um, and then the question is like for some people the behind the scenes work and the process is the reward and the the um, performance is just the kind of bonus whatever bonus round I don't know I'm mixing my metaphors now mm. but um but then for some people the being on stage is the be all and end all and that's what it's about and I don't know if like it's tied in like it is definitely a a trait of a, like, like people one thing people always used to call me as a kid was a born performer. Uh, which is a really weird thing to hear all the time. And it's, I mean, that's not to say I was a great kid. Like, I'm sure I was vastly irritating. <laughs> um, I was always, like, putting on little plays and wearing cloaks around. And, like, I was an eccentric child. Yeah. Um, and you wonder, like, why, why uh, with, when you get those labels from early on, it, you know, that becomes a self-perpetuating loop, doesn't it? That becomes a thing where you, you were told, and it's this, you know, for a, it's. I was lucky in that I was given a label that I liked and wanted, and it was a great thing. Like so many people are told things that become damaging in later life. Uh, that thankfully uh, I, I didn't get. Um, so yeah, you wonder like when those inputs are they like a self perpetuating loop that you become convinced that because you're told you are that thing, then you are that thing, and that becomes the need to reinforce that or confirm that yeah and have you worked out why you think you do like for example do you think the reason that you dress in an eccentric manner and the reason that you perform come from the same place I don't know I mean surely that, uh, surely it must come from a common kind of a common area yeah <laughs> like it was fascinating um, when you said the reason that you became an actor was because you on some level you wanted to dress up Oh, definitely. That's fascinating. 100%. Because, like, I can't relate to that in any way. Really? To be just honest. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Why, what, what's, what's your logic? Or what, what was your... I'm not saying that was the main, the only no, job. No, I know. No, but, you know, I'm not going to get defensive. That's what I said. Yeah. What do you think... What, what, where does it come from for you? For me... Uh, and I, it took me a while. I didn't know for a long time. Yeah. I didn't know. And then, I like, I, I recently, I think I've worked out that when I see a really beautiful performance to me, or mainly like a really beautiful piece of writing, or just a piece of work overall, what it makes me feel is seen. And like, I think on some level, Camille Lucy Ross has like a lovely way, she'd be like, oh, you're a little weirdo though. And like she's it very affectionately. Yes. Yeah. And, I, I, and I think a lot of us, you know, like uh, can like relate to that. And like, I'm, I'm, we're both very like polite, nice people. We're not like, we're not like, Necessarily, I don't know if I'm polite. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit brash at the best of times. I'll speak about myself. Yes, do. Uh, yeah, well, I've, I've been doing it for long enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, um, and she says it very lovingly, like you're a little weirdo, and it's like, um, it's yeah, when I, like when when I when I make something and with this podcast that's the point of it like with anything I write that's the point of it when I you know act like obviously when you're acting you're trying to fit into like an ensemble and fit into like a, a greater vision but like when something's like coming from me it's because good art to me makes me feel seen. And seen as invisible less alone oh absolutely as a community as a community effort yes yeah absolutely. like I'm like oh like if you 
you know, like there's just there's, I, don't, I was talking about it with Danielle Gallagher, who's in in lyrics with, with me, and we were talking about uh, this. You know, the weird by Conor McPherson. Yeah. There's this moment in it, and I I, I love that play. I think it's me a too. beautiful play. And he there's this moment where one of the characters is talking about when he the only woman he ever loved, and uh, he, he she moved to Dublin. He he wouldn't go with her. You know, three years later, he was invited to her wedding, and they're sitting in a pub, and he's watching her get married. And he talks like how he felt so stupid, like he was there with his brill cream in his hair, and he yeah. had a load of points before he goes because he better sit there. And at a point, he couldn't go, so he had to leave. And he went off, and he had a few points, and the barman could just sense there was something wrong with him, and he said. Uh, can I, he made him a sandwich and he pushes it across the table and he talks about him slicing the onion the onion out of the jar uh, you know yeah. and it's so and like that and I, I've never I've never experienced that but like I know that feeling of like I think he talks about like and all he just wanted to say was like thank you and yeah. I think he talks about the character crying and like something like that in a piece of writing where you're just like fuck yeah like I, it's the empathy of it it's, it's, it's the reaching out it's isn't the it yeah. of it. it's, it's when I, I played Jack in the weird in uh Dramsock when I was 18 really 12 years ago yeah wow. and I always remember that monologue because like at 18 how can you how can you empathise with that level of loneliness yeah and that l- long because it's a wonderful speech uh, what's the end of it you only catch someone's eye for the right reason yeah and it's just it's 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 the kind of line that very rarely happens in any theatre where collectively you get a chill you get a chill say, I mean not saying it but no you do you get a recounting chill. it to yeah. you there butchering you it. it I was like yeah. fuck I, like, but you get a chill doing it and the audience hopefully get it it's just one of those like oh Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a real moment of, of communal acknowledgement of a human emotion yeah. and that is and that's what I, that I was going to ask you this because what we were talking about before we started recording um, I think that's why I prefer theatre yeah it, it's, it's, the, it's the, in, the immediacy of it and the liveness of it and it's also the community between both the audience and the act, both the actors and the audience, and the actors and the, each other. Mm-hmm. And like you and I have worked together, and like we um, we did the rivals in twenty seventeen. Was that only a year ago? Yeah, but, I know. Less. Um, and it's great. Like you can work for four weeks of rehearsals. Yeah. And like the best thing about theatre, I think, is that you can go out on the first day having rehearsed into the ground, and you can realize collectively as a unit. Oh no, they they don't they don't think it's this. They think it's that. And if you if you know if, if the ensemble is strong enough and the and the direction is strong enough, you can all collectively just lean the play. You can just steer it into what they want. Yes, and that's a beautiful thing because you can't say it to each other. It's it's a, it's an instinct. Yeah, you're feeling thing. it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's the power of 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 it. Yeah, and that's why I think. And I'm not dissing film. I don't want to diss film as a medium. But I think I I personally as an actor find it much more difficult because it feels like you're just alone. Or it feels like you're a lot more alone in the moment than you would be otherwise, mm. um, and that's that. That's only from my limited experience of having done film. I, I find it more difficult because I don't have the support of other actors necessarily in that in the larger theatrical sense. Obviously, you can be in a an AB or a two up with with someone else, and that's a very different thing because it's like it's, it's a secret. It's a secret, you know. It's a secret that you're telling. I've always thought that the main difference with a camera is like you're trying to get the audience into your head. Yeah. Whereas theatre, there's kind of no, you just have to get the emotion to the last person in the last row. And that's, it's such a different set of skills that it's kind of hard to fathom, really, that we're allowed to do both. Yeah. It's actually kind of insane that people think that doing both is is the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and so many people, certainly maybe 
audience members who don't go to a lot of theater or whatever, they, they think it's the the same set of skills and it just isn't. Uh, I'm not saying one is better or worse than the other. I feel like we haven't done any balls in ages. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that's what happened. But that's that's a sign we're having good chats. Though, as well. Oh, good. When good. we do, a, we'll do a ball. Yeah, we'll yeah. get back into it. <laughs> we only do one. Yeah, yeah. Fucking hell! How long has this been? <laughs> this is. I, I literally. I, I was. That is the worst. Because <laughs> yeah. I just talk. Oh, you know. I, yeah. I just. I just go. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was let you go though. Uh, number sixteen. Um, do you have the number? Oh, sorry. Jesus. Yeah, the bingo. Yeah. Um, do I have sixteen? No, I've got fourteen. <laughs> do, do you remember your first kiss? I do, yeah, because I was, I was 16. Yeah. <laughs> well, how appropriate. Absolutely, I remember, because yeah. uh, I was much older than anybody else I knew. That's not, that's not, in terms of, like, answers for that question, I'd say you're, like, if you're older, you're barely, like, maybe, like, I'd say 15 was the average. I yeah. think 16 could have been the average. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not, I'm no longer ashamed of it. I was ashamed of it at the time. Yeah. But um, I was, it was uh, tying back in. I was at, it was in Croydon at a model United Nations uh, summit. So we were all... Uh, it was like debating, but for real wankers, um, <laughs> where you had to, you know, you have to pretend you're given a country to represent, and you have to represent that country's viewpoints in a fictional model, yeah. United Nations. Um, I don't know who I, I think I, there was one year we got Syria right when the Axis of Evil stuff was happening yeah. with George W. Bush, and it was like we are because we weren't very experienced. Uh, we were like we were we are going to get drawn into some because like there's like top league MUN debater people. Uh, who like do like the USA and China and they get to do the real stuff and then you might get like the first year we had Sudan and our main line was like please help us <laughs> you know and people just kind of avoided talking to us and that was almost very sadly perhaps uh, uh, reflective of real situations but um, yeah. anyway to answer your question there was like a disco uh, and I met this girl she was English and like the, the her uh, all I remember thinking was her accent was the most the cutest thing ever yes and we had a dance and then I kissed her and the best thing was that much later uh, we kept in touch on MSN Messenger. Oh, uh, and much later I told her, in retrospect, she'd be my first kiss. And she said, you never would have known. Wow. And that, some for some reason, meant a huge deal to me. Oh, that's good. Yeah, you see, yeah I didn't come off like a complete clueless Morgan. Like I have every day since. <laughs> the girl like the girl I kissed for a was English as well. And I remember being like, the accent just was like the best. That's great. Huh? But like, I, was, I think it must have been incredibly obvious that she was my first kiss. Like, I, <laughs> I like, it was just... Like, how to say this? It was just so wet. Like, as in... <laughs> and not in a way, like, you know, you might want... Uh, like, uh, but, like, it was... I just... It was... I just, Like, it was... You know, like, my face was around my... Like, if I'd stayed yeah, like that, I, gets... I would have got a rash. <laughs> that's the best way to describe it. That means you're doing it right. Yeah, so. yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's, um, that's, so, that's so hilarious. Nerdy. Let's do another ball. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's like a good one to kind yeah. of roll with. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, number 21. Do you have it? No, I've got 28 though. I've got like lots of numbers that are near these numbers, which is frustrating me. Okay, let's workshop some titles for what your autobiography will be called. Oh my God. Any ideas? Have you ever thought about this before? Not really. Okay. Um, well, actually, no. Uh, one thing that my, my mother uh, will frequently say, um, not frequently, but I'm pretty sure she said it. Maybe I'm just attributing this to my mother. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, if something is going on, or something I haven't got an audition, or something, something a setback has happened. She will say something along the lines of, "Oh, this is like chapter one, at the end of chapter one, before the big thing happens, and you start chapter two with, like with." And it's actually it's a lovely way of thinking of it, um, you know, because you you all, I mean, we're trained to think of our lives in in acts, yeah, and uh, in, in stories, um, titles. Um, Finbar Doyle, I hardly knew me. 
<laughs> no, I mean, I'm just going to riff now. Uh, no, I don't know. Uh, Finbar Doyle, a man of hats, a man of valour. <laughs> no, um, uh, I don't know. I've, I've no idea what it actually... It have to be something... I don't know. Because all those things are usually puns or self-references to their work. Yeah, I just think you and your name in all of them. Finbar Doyle, da 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 Oh, shit, yeah. No, well, that's no, very great. self-centered of me. No, no, no. Um, I mean, it's your book. It's my book, and you know what time it is. It is my book. I'll call it what I want. I'll just call it Finbar Doyle, a Finbar Doyle story. I love it. Like the Star Wars, like the Star Wars layout now. Would you ever like? Would you ever like to do that? Like to document your life in that way? Like, do you do, do you diary? Or I don't. You know what? This, that's, I, I saw a friend of mine uh, put up on on Facebook today that they started journaling, and it's not something I've actually. You know what? Jesus, that's a lie. Um, like one thing, like Jenna Debris as a person is ninety percent notebooks. Okay. She's like got a million notebooks, and notebooks have become something that I have started to carry a lot of. And um, I say I've probably got maybe seven or eight notebooks. The first four or five pages of which are filled, and then they're discarded. Right. And I think that's the same for any writer mm-hmm. and for a lot of people. Um, but there was a point where I was kind of just jotting down thoughts and people I met and coffees I had. Mm. Um, but I, I don't do it with any regularity. Right. In terms of, just because you brought it up there about like the writer, and um, I, I'm not doing the question where it's like, are you an actor or a writer? Because like, that's nonsense. I'm but, an actor. Okay. Well, what I was going to ask, <laughs> it's something I'm trying to reconcile with yeah. myself at the moment is like, I, I think, uh, and it's kind of been difficult, but I think I am 50% uh, writer. Really? Yeah, I do. That's interesting. I do. I, and I think... What made you come to that conclusion? Just because of how much I love it. Like, mm. I really fucking love it. Like, and and I know when I write, I'll never not not that I always think it's good but I'll never not believe in it whereas like I've acted in things where like I don't necessarily believe in it like you know I'm like this as a as a product like is, is, is fine and I will like fit in and I will do my job mm. when you're a professional actor that's what you do absolutely gig is a gig man yeah you do your job but as a writer I've never felt that and I love and you know and that's like something that I want to work towards now over the next just going forward in my life is to make the acting work do less and less of the work that I don't believe in as absolutely. much as possible you know of course yeah um, but you you are an actor well, I suppose I kind of said that, but no, I should trust the gut instinct. Yeah, I would consider myself an actor who writes. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can assign a numbers to it. Yeah, maybe no. Seven, maybe 70, 30. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I find writing very difficult. Mm. Uh, I, 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 I'm envious of, of many writers, I know yourself included, mm-hmm. who are just incredibly prolific. They just kind of churn out very high standard work. And I'm like, how do they do it? Because I, like myself and Jed's, this play we're reviving now, Trist, we wrote it two years ago. And it took us nine months to write it. And um, we've got maybe two or three little... Play- we've got two or three plays on the boiler, what, what I would call on the boiler right now, that are ideas. And we've got maybe three or four scenes written. We've got some dialogue sketched. But, like, I find it incredibly difficult because I'm, 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 I'm a hypercritical person in terms of art, in terms of writing. Like, I, 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 uh, of other people's writing, and not other people's writing, but, like, of... of writing I see mm-hmm. like uh, like on films and TV like I, I pick things apart and I always have and so I find it very difficult to write my own stuff because I don't think it's ever good enough mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever to any kind of sta- I don't think it's up to the correct standard um, and I just feel much more comfortable as an actor so I think I and maybe that's a bad thing maybe like resting into the laurels of that is something I shouldn't do um, but I think yeah, I think I love I love writing a play when it's done. 
but I hate writing a play. Mm. You know, yeah. Uh, but that's the plight to pretty much everybody, yeah, uh, to varying degrees. Yeah. <coughs> um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, no, I I find it. I, I love writing dialogue. I, I mean, I I've never done a mo- I've never written a monologue play. Mm. That's not even true. I, I we did Jekyll and Hyde as a monologue a monologue play. Um, but I just I just love back and forth. I love I'm a huge like my main main people I go to like Albie, Malice, Pinter, like that kind of push, 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 and then like dead silence. And like the silence is where you do the acting. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like the silence is where you do the acting and the audience to go, ooh. And those those are great. Um but I just find it very difficult. I think I'm I'm I I, I pick up on dialogue that I if a play very or, or a piece of film early on where the dialogue just doesn't click for me I'm like uh, nobody one thing that Jedda says all the time and that I say as a, as a result of that nobody talks like that yes nobody talks like that yeah no human talks like that and so many plays are littered with stuff that's like that's the writer you can hear the writer's voice going ah, I wrote a joke oh, and I'm like it's infuriating especially yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's infuriating to watch because it doesn't serve doesn't serve anything no. and it doesn't serve the characters and I think your duty as a writer is to the pe- the characters you're writing and kind of nothing else like if the audience don't want to go with you where you're going that's fine but you can't compromise on that mm-hmm. and like that sounds very hard line but like I suppose I'm, I'm I'm kind of infamously among my circle of friends I'm infamously contrary and picky about things uh, and I don't know why that is uh, from a personality point of view, um, but I think you have to take it seriously. Like I, I was actually in the in the chat with Jed. I was talking about hmm. a friend asked me. So it has happened often. I was really honoured, like that 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 they did. Like asked me to sit down, read their play, and like talk about it after. And yeah. I was saying to Jed, I'm repeating myself, but just for the sake of context, so you're of in the loop. I was like, uh, I said, okay, before we read anything, like how honest do you want me to be? You know, yes. because sometimes someone doesn't want your honesty; they just want a little bit of encouragement, and that's legitimate. Exactly, because whatever gets you through the night. This is literally exactly what I said to Jed. But it's like, um, and we 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 talked about it, and. Uh, and you know, and 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 they they took the notes really well because they weren't. I I did. I thought there was a lot of thing issues, and yeah. I was just being honest. And I I love them, and I think they're very talented as well. And that's why it was okay. But um, and then like, you know, and I was leaving, and I was like, what? What? And like, I got investors. Like, why do you get investors? Like, at the end of the day, and even now, you're putting on trist, I'm putting on lyrics. There's loads of new work happening, and it's like, at the end of the day, you know, the tickets are going to be for these shows between like ten and sixteen euro, right? Yeah. But like. It's fucking ten and sixteen euro of people's like money and like an hour of their life. Yeah, yeah, an hour of their life. An hour of yeah, you life. do. You 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 gotta forget. You are asking a commitment from someone, uh, and it has to be. And and yeah, and there is also the kind of contradiction of what I said earlier. It does also have to be worth their time. Yeah, you know, some people like to have a bit of a laugh. You know, not some people. Like that, that sounds uh, kind of prejudiced. Yeah. Um, like. Constructing a play, I find, is very difficult because you, you you do you do need like laughter lines and you do need like moments of of ease. Like I, but this is, it depends on the type of play you write. Mm. Like I, I think that the plays that myself and Jeddo write and produce as Sickle Moon are very different from, for example, the kind of plays that Katie McCann writes. And we've also produced her work with her alongside her company, Illustrated and Sickle Moon have produced Cirque du Rep together. Mm. And like that's a, that's I would describe Cirque as a dark. A, a, a gothic comedy mm. but I would say that Trist is a a comedy drama yes do you know what I mean yeah. and like the two words are kind of interchangeable but yeah. like Trist is about serious Trist is a serious play that is funny mm-hmm. and uh, 
Cirque du Rev is a funny play that has elements of seriousness to it. Yes. Uh, and I think those, neither of those are, are better or worse than the other. No. But, um, but you know what I think is really important? Well, not important, but in my, in my, I, I don't want my... Like I don't want my comedies to not be dramatic, and I don't want my dramas oh, to have exactly. no comedy because I'm... life is not neither one or the other. It's so basic, but there's like there's some film like oh <laughs> I, see, I I can't remember what like our plays, and I just seen it, and I was like I didn't laugh once, and I watched these people exist together for two and a half hours. Like I've never I've never seen that happen. And yeah, even exactly, the, even yeah, with anybody the, about the darkest thing. Like in fact, that possibly the more funny. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Or and if it is funny, I remember we did. Uh, one of our plays, uh, Tactics, which we did in 2014 in TU, involves like very early, it's, it's one scene straight through as, as a lot of our, our, our sickle moon plays are. Um, very, very early on, a character is stabbed in the gut yeah. and and the whole play... Oh, did she story. talk about this? Yeah. Oh, man. She talked about the blood incident. Oh, did she? Well, I won't go into the blood incident, but yeah. like over the course of the play, he bleeds out in real time and they have to decide what to do and they end up deciding to murder him to cover their tracks. And like, Several people, like one audience member, walked out during the scene because it was very intense. And then there was one night where there was about six, two rows of people breaking their shit, laughing right. top to tail. They thought it was the funniest thing in the world, and I was like, "That's great." Yeah. It doesn't matter what your reaction is, as long as you evoke a reaction. Yes. The worst thing you can do, I think, as a writer and a performer, is to evoke a mm, "That's death." Like if you, I think, because I, I, I've frequently gone on major rants about things I hate, and that's great. You should know. I mean, it's. I think it's great if people hate your work. If they viscerally hate your work, it's a real positive thing because it means you are sending out a worldview and you are sending out a, a tone, and people will react to that tone in extreme ways. That's great. That's what you want. You want that feedback on either end of the scale. Yeah. Uh, because that's what art should do. It should provoke something. The worst thing art can do is is skim, skim the wave and just kind of be a play. The worst thing I can ever say about the thing is it was a play I saw once. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And I'll never think of it again. Like, I love thinking about plays that I didn't like. I love thinking about plays that I do like because they inform, they make me more aware of what I want to do. Yeah. Or don't do. Or challenge within myself having not done it before. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ball me! <laughs> do it, do it, you're ball me! Uh, I like how you say it, that's fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm the first person to demand ball yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. That's big. And number four. No. Okay, number four. Um, as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? An actor. Yeah. Next ball! <laughs> no, I, I definitely an actor. Was 100% it? an actor, yeah. And so where did that divulge into the law thing? Oh, God. Um, Look what happened. What happened? Nothing happened. Um, <laughs> a, lawyer, a lawyer came to me on the playground and said, you there. Um, I don't know. No, I was always, I was, I'm the oldest of, of three kids and I was, I was alone for, for three and a bit years before my sister came along and I was the first kid in my mother's extended family. Um, so I was the first kid for her parents, for my grandparents and so I was kind of, for a while, showered you could say with attention mm-hmm. maybe it's all Lisa my sister Lisa's fault that her taking some attention led me to become an actor but no that's not that's not true at all um, and I just became obsessed with with uh, watching stuff and, and, and reenacting stuff I would watch like movies and TV shows and I would reenact them I would go around and, and go we'll do it and then I'll do it and I would and I was a really fucking weird kid because I used to I had a cape made out of an old corduroy dress that my mother had and I would wear the cape. I just wear it everywhere because I was obsessed with really weird things. And I still think 
I'm one of the only... I, I don't meet people who have this kind of same thing. I was obsessed with bad guys as a kid. I love the theatricality of, of Disney villains like Jafar and uh, Ursula. Darth Vader was a major influence on me. And like, and I was obsessed with the, the theatricality of a, a villain's entrance, of a cape swishing and, and arriving, so to speak, and, and having that kind of thing. So I was always um, reenacting stuff and I had like lightsabers and stuff. And uh, But then when I went to school and I was always doing, I always did like drama classes and stuff during school and after school. Um but I, I was never good at maths. I'm ter- I have no head for maths at all. Uh, which is funny because my, my dad, God bless him, is an actuary. Mm. And his entire life is like statistics and numbers. And, and it was one of the very few areas where we just, we couldn't see eye to eye. Like there was, there was like a fundamental, it's like we were speaking a different language. When I was in school, like doing maths, he would try and like help me with like algebra and stuff. And he, he just couldn't understand how I didn't get it because like, it's second nature to him. It is like a language he knows. Yes. And it's a language that I have no fluency in. So I thankfully found strength in English and, and stuff. I was good at English. I liked reading books and writing essays. And that led to debating. And debating led to MUN. And because I was a very chatty, I was a fucking chatterbox as a child. And I still am a chatterbox. One thing people would say about me when I was a kid was, oh, he'll make a great lawyer. And that became, again, what we were talking about, that self-perpetuating loop of That's so maybe I'll be a lawyer. That's the theme. Because you get you get paid to talk. Yeah. And I and, and But the, the things that drew me to the law were the performative elements. It was yeah. speaking in front of a crowd. It was wearing a robe and a wig. And it was getting to argue and dissect and be analytical and critical of somebody else's uh, arguments. I'm not being funny. Did a priest ever appeal to you? Um, they, no, that's very funny. Um, funny you should ask that. Uh, not properly, not, not like in such a way that I ever considered it. Yeah. But when I was uh, when I first said to my parents I wanted to be an actor, they took me to a mental institute. No, they took me to a uh, a aptitude career guidance person, and it was separate from the school. The school had one of those, but it was an actual thing where you went and you did like an hour long multiple choice. It was a personality assessment. Mm. Uh, and from that, they gave you jobs that suited your personality. Yeah. And I was 17, I think. And I shit you not, uh, the top three results, actor, lawyer, religious leader, spiritual leader. They're, this, they're like, yeah. I, I, I can see why. It's an issue of, I mean, I mean, I don't want to apply the word charisma to who I am. It's more forthrightness or... or, or it's either charisma or obnoxiousness depending on, on what your attack is when you first see me across the bar um, yeah and like I can see why you know, I can see why that, that would I, I'm definitely kind of very effusive and very direct and I and I consider myself someone who's good at, at arguing and, and taking something to task and, and pulling something apart and putting it back together that's not necessarily a good trait of mine it's certainly led to to upsets and, and like I'm not saying it's it's a great it's a, it's not a perfect trait mm. but it's a trait that for whatever reason I could I hold very dearly to myself um, so yeah no I'd, I'd never considered being a priest but it was something that I think I could have been I could have been a good priest like I wonder that about like the generations before us like now not I mean, no, it definitely is like acting is definitely more accessible than it ever has been surely just yeah. because. You can be way. an actor on YouTube. Exactly. You know? And I wonder that about like how many priests just wanted to be a stand-up comedian, you know? Or like just wanted... Just wanted an audience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. stuff like that, you know, it, it's interesting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I'd, I I mean, if things were different, like, for example, if 
the celibacy thing wasn't an issue when I was growing up. I wonder what I've considered it. Do you I know what I mean, I've said that a, a numerous times, and that that would be the thing because, like, I would like, um, yeah. First of all, like, I love having sex, and and, and who doesn't? Who doesn't? Uh, and but I but I also like to have like a. Uh, you know, r- romantic relationships and, exactly. and possibly it's children, the, and it's the empathy thing, isn't it? It's what we're talking about with theater. It's it's the connection. Yeah, it's the end of the weir. Yeah, it's 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 those moments of you don't want to deny yourself the closeness of it. It's not even the physical closeness. It's just the emotional truth of that. Yes, whatever you make of that yourself. Um, and what about God and stuff? And like, you know, what I I, I was thinking about this. I'm thinking about a lot of things recently. Um, I don't remember the day I was an. I just was suddenly an atheist. Yeah. Like I went to a Christian brothers school and then I went to a school run by Carmelite monks and, you know, prayer and there's a church on site, prayer and regular church services and like carol services were all a whole part of the thing. Got all my sacraments. I've even got my deaths. Uh, I've got my uh, last rites. Um, we'll come back to that one. <laughs> I'm sure everybody, everybody who knows me knows that story. But um, yeah, I've got all my sacraments. Uh, the only one left, I think, is marriage, is it? I don't know. Um but no, I don't know when I suddenly didn't believe in God anymore. Because I definitely probably did when I was a kid. I prayed. Like, I remember praying at the side of my bed. Like, And that was yeah. never something that my parents had divorced or anything. Like, um, I, I could pinpoint an event that might have precipitated. We we weren't really mass goers. we go, like, classic mass, Easter, Christmas, yeah. and maybe anniversaries of, of relatives' uh, deaths or whatever. And funerals, of course, uh, of which there are sadly too many. And... Um, 2004, I'm going to say, the extended edition of the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, was under my Christmas tree. And it had this scene where Saruman is killed. They cut the scene where Saruman dies. And it was in it, and it was the first five minutes of it. And I was like, I'm going to watch this now. And which is in four, I would have been uh, 14, or uh, 16. <laughs> Too old, really. Um, and... Uh, my parents were like, we're going to Mass. And I was like, no, I'm not going to Mass. I want to watch the Lord of the Rings. And we didn't go to Mass. It didn't happen. That was the first year we didn't. And we've never been to a Mass since. I, and I, can't, I don't know. Maybe I'm conflating that. You know the way as a child you conflate issues that you think you are the centre of the story. Yes. But I, yeah, we, and since then I've never really done organised religion. Yeah. So it, it was the, uh, it was Wizards to this. <laughs> the, the 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 last rites. Oh well, that's just. I was born. I was born April third, which is my lucky number here. Or no, April third, January third. I was due April first. Um, what a joke! I was born. Yeah, I know. I would have been an April that? Fool. Oh, sorry. Absolutely no, but like that's it. I think the April Fool thing is definitely an element of my personality, and I think it's it's. I'm not like a Zodiac person, yeah. But um, I can see why you would based on those kind of things. But no, I was born 27 weeks. Um, one pound ten ounces and I was uh, I had serious basically my mother uh, God bless her who is still alive and going strong um, and it's hard to talk about our millennial generation like she was 20 she was 26 when this happened like it's hard to fathom I'm like oh 26, 27 my dad was 25 and like that's five years younger than I am now and I can't ever imagine dealing with what that night was so my mother started to she became very sick she went into kind of shock um and she was brought to the coom, and uh, essentially, and this is my understanding of what happened, and I'm willing, I'm sure my mother will comment on the Facebook event and correct any of this. Um, they said, look, you, they said to my father, who's 25, they said, look, uh, your wife's gone into shock, she's going to die, we can't save the baby, but we can't save your wife. 
And that was it. That was the choice presented to him. It was like, we can save your wife if we lose the baby. And what was fascinating, of course, is we live in Ireland with the Eighth Amendment, and this is quite close, you know, five or six years after this had happened. Yeah. So my dad, thankfully, this was this was something that happened, and I'm sure they were possibly breaking the law, um, or they were at this point in the story. And my dad was like, save my wife, of course. Uh, and so they had to forge all the documents. They had to act like I was already dead, because if they if they take me out while alive, yeah. it would have... Right, that, that would have been an abortion. Um, so I have a death certificate because a no fetal heartbeat and all these documents because they were they were saying the baby was dead in order to remove me. And uh, so they did that and a priest was on site. He baptised me and gave me the last rites at the same time. And uh, they, they fixed my mother up and I survived. I had I was still alive and uh, I was one pound ten ounces. And I had um, the valve, the... Um, the valve that shuts off when you're born, that, that shuts off the flow of blood from the... Uh, umbilical cord so that your heart starts to pump its own uh, fluids and whatever hadn't grown or had, had been malformed or wasn't ready well, it wasn't ready yet I wasn't cooked in the oven and so I started to, I had a hole in my heart and I started to pump blood into the chest cavity so at about three weeks old I think two weeks or three weeks I had heart surgery to, to repair that and then um, a week later I developed an infection in my lungs uh and they had to do the second surgery live on me. They couldn't put me under again. I was too small to take another round of antibiotics. So as I understand it, they had to perform the, the draining of the lungs while I was awake or partially awake, like a local anaesthetic. Um, yeah, and it was, ma- it was amazing. Like They didn't have the technology at the time to, uh, in Ireland. They didn't have the surgical equipment to perform a surgery on a baby that size. They had to order it in from England. And... Uh, so it's funny, I live out in Wal- or my family home is out in Walkinstown. Mm. And I was born in the coom and had the surgery in Children's Hospital in, in uh, Crumlin. Yeah. And like my bus route into town for my folks goes by both of those hospitals. And like on that stretch of road, like I died in the ambulance and they had to revive me. And it's kind of weird. It does kind of make you. And so like I'm not a religious person and yet I came through an awful lot to be. A- and like even after all of that, they were like, he was born so young that there's a certain percent chance he'll be blind or deaf or uh, have developmental disabilities, or be uh, mentally um, disabled, or and so I had loads of tests then done, and amazingly nothing, yeah, literally nothing. I've never been back to a hospital since. Wow, touch wood. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's the story. Wow, I mean that's kind of an amazing <laughs> story. It's, it's really, crazy. It's really interesting though. Like about, I was just thinking there because, you know. That's got to be whether, like, on, on some, you know, it, like it, the way you're talking about it doesn't sound like you can remember any of that. But, like, no, your body and your, like, that's got to be, in, like, yeah. traumatic beyond belief. On but some they level. say that premature babies are, are anxious, are more anxious yes. because they didn't come to term. Yeah. And also a C-section, a C-section baby uh, and a baby kept in an incubator is more anxious because you, I wasn't, I couldn't be touched. I was, I was in an incubator for 13 weeks. And like, I, I, it was just, because it was so interesting what you, you kept saying, we were talking earlier about like the, the acting thing and like mm. that, you know, balance of the introvert and the extrovert and then the, the dress thing and like, but like, uh, you know, I wonder is that there's something like of like the poor little baby in, in that incubator and like just, you know, I know babies can't wait, but if they could, you know, just like see me. Absolutely. See oh me. yeah, I don't, I don't doubt that there is a evolutionary there's there's some animal instinct in there, yeah, hundred percent has to be, yeah. Um, and it's very, yeah, it is it is a very strange thing, um, to kind of think about because you don't think about it very often. Mm. Uh, and I mean, I've got lots of scar- I've got scars. That's actually uh, one thing. My everybody in my family, bar my my sister, have tattoos mm. or I've had tattoos done, and I'd never get a tattoo. 
And I used to say it was because I'm an actor and that's irresponsible. But I'm also like two, three stone overweight. That's irresponsible too as an actor. But no, um, I, I've got so many scars. I've got like a scar on my arm from some burn and heart surgery, lung surgery. I've got the thumb. And like it's, I just don't, it's weird that I, I, I have a thing because I love tattoos. I think the art is beautiful. But I would never have one because I, I can, some element of it, element of my brain must consider it scarification yeah which is not fair at all i think they're i think they're great on other people but um it's also because my i'm just i'm just so flighty and uh completely unable to because you think you get like a favorite lyric or a favorite you know you get something that means something to you right now but then of course in six months time i'll, I'll have changed my mind completely i don't i don't want to be like looking at it going nah, no fucking hate that yeah <laughs> i fucking hate that now you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah um yeah. well i'm glad you made it me too. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I made it. Ball me. Here we go. Let's do it. Number one. Number one. No, I don't have it. Okay. Um, tell us about a memory that still makes you laugh. Oh, that could be anything. Um, a memory that still makes me laugh. Like uh, the, the hardest time you laugh. Doesn't even have to be a good story. You know that thing? You, that's what Jedi's answer was about tactics. Was, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah, when yeah. you all came into the dressing room after and just oh, broke gosh. your shit. Yeah. Um, like a like a thing. Sorry, you're, did you say like a hard moment where laughter saved it? Uh, yeah, like a, a time where you laughed the hardest. Oh, where I laughed the hardest. Yeah. Um, it's just something that when you think about it now, you just kind of give a little chuckle. You can't help. But... I don't know. Are you just I, dead inside? Yeah, you know what? I am dead inside. No, I have this thing where I, I don't remember things very well. I wonder yeah. if I've damaged my long-term memory. Um, first thing that comes to mind is uh, when I was a kid my, my best buddy uh, Steve who now has the house and wonderful children and wonderful wife mm. um, I was in his house for the first time Steve's in the army uh, I'm not sure if that's a national security issue to say that <laughs> um, as as was his dad his, and his brother his whole family are, are, are uh, uh, military men but um, when I went over to his house for the first time I, was like, I think we were maybe 10 or 11 I said something I made a joke or a crack or something at him um, and he laughed he laughed so hard that he shot milk out of his nose he was drinking milk he, he didn't just shoot milk out of his nose he wasn't producing it no he was drinking milk and he shot milk out of his nose and we both laughed so hard that it's become it's to this day it's an ongoing competition we've always tried to get each other if one of us is drinking we'll always try and get each other to laugh a liquid out at each other's noses and it's it's like an ongoing uh, brotherly feud we have uh, and I remember laughing incredibly hard at that and it becoming a back and forth. So whenever I think of laughter, yeah. I think of that incident and the ongoing. I, I, I was uh, his best man on his wedding. Um, and I said in the speech, I, I mentioned it as an anecdote. And he said, I'm glad you're all here tonight because it ends here. One of us will get it to the other and it'll be the, oh, at the end of it. Uh, but it, it didn't happen. It was a very respectful affair, unfortunately. Well, that, that wonderful day of when they were wed. What's that like? What's being a best man like? Um... It's kind of weird. Like it was, it was, it was a great. It was a surprise to be asked. Um, it, it happened in, it, because of a, a very specific uh, scenario. Because Steve has only one brother, Tim, who's, who's an uh, excellent human, and um, uh, you, logically, you would you would assume the brother would be the best man because that's generally the the, the, the way of things. But Steve's wife, uh, uh, Courtney, is from America. They met in the states when he, they were in college together, and. Um, so he had two weddings. He had one in Ireland and one in America for an extended family that couldn't make a trip to both. So I was the Dublin best man and Tim was the American best man. Lovely. So we both got to fulfill the role, which is lovely and a really sweet. Uh, I, I was overjoyed to be asked. It was great. It was kind of funny. The best thing about it was that Steve got married in um, military regalia because they had the, the reception out in the uh, the barracks. And uh, 
So I got to be like, I was like, I kept telling him I was like Samwise to his Frodo. I was his batsman. Because you know, the Lord of the Rings, like, uh, he based that relationship on a batsman to uh, uh, a infantry and batsman relationship in World War One. So I, I got to like help him with his sword and shit, you know? Uh, so it was gas, yeah. And it was very interesting. Like, writing a best man speech is, is interesting. It was kind of great because I'd known, I'd known Stevie for. 20 years now literally fucking Jesus 20 years so we had a, there was a huge amount of information to kind of draw on uh, so no I, I, I and again like I like I like the writing of it I didn't find it difficult I was a bit nervy of it and you know what one thing that I didn't expect at all and I'll tell you this is that I got really choked up mm. on the day uh, I had to do a, re- a reading at the ceremony and I picked um, and the, uh, one of the ones I, I picked was or it was a Shakespeare quote um, and as I read it, I I got really emotional, mm. uh, and I didn't expect that. I didn't expect it. I, I kind of had to kind of choke through the last bit, yeah, because uh, I was just kind of overwhelmed. I was just so happy for them. What was um, the quote? I don't remember. Ah. Uh, no, I do. It was um, it was <laughs> Henry the Fifth, or it was one of the. It was it was a wooing scene where he's wooing. Yeah. Uh, I have nothing but. But oaths that never break for earning. It was a one. It was basically a wonderful quote about um, being a man of his word. Mm. Uh, never break till urged. No, never something till urged and never break for urging. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Like it was something like that where uh, a man of my word would never break an oath I make. And uh, I, I thought it described Steve to a, to a T. Mm. Um, he's a, he's an upstanding guy, and always has been. So yeah, it was. Um, what was the question? That was it. I don't remember that full quote. Yeah, yeah. That's a that'll, that's an indictment of my person. No, what, do you know what's funny? And I don't know why I want to ask you this, but like, I, and maybe it, it, I, I wanted to ask it, and then you, you mentioned about getting choked up. What what is your relationship to like your masculinity or your thoughts on like present day masculinity? Oh, I'm a beta male. <laughs> like, Absolutely okay. no. I, I I I love the kind of. I saw that. I saw an article today, or there's um, what's the TV show Silicon Valley mm-hmm. about the and it's. They they released the, they had a front I think it was on Vanity Fair a front page article and it's the four leads and they're all kind of like it's Camille 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 Lachini, yeah. yeah and your man who's in your man oh yeah I know your man who's in Middleditch Thomas Middleditch is that his name he's in he's in uh, Veep and he's in tall skinny guy yeah yeah that yeah, guy yeah, yeah. and um, he's a great actor I mean they're they're all great, yeah, great. and yeah. and they're all standing in a row with their hands on each other's hips and it's like. And the the reason I saw it on Twitter was that they were they were showing reactions to it elsewhere, and it was all these MAGA "Make America Great Again" lunatics right. going, "This is the death of the man. This is the death of America. Uh, these guys shouldn't be doing that. Look at them. They're they're whatever. They're they're this. They're that. They're uh, sissies and much worse besides mm-hmm. uh, words that they were using. I should say. Um, and it is weird. Like I, I think I think I think it's great that that. Uh, you're that that we're allowed. I mean, we are allowed to be more open emotionally, and emotional emotional honesty is not something I've always been brilliant at. Um, but I think it's I think it's great. I think it's a great thing that that part of and it seems to be just missed that part of these uh, great movements uh, to 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 bring more attention and rightful attention to to women artists and, and women in general mm-hmm. in workplaces of all sorts. Um, is also a reckoning with with traditional gender structures, uh, and not not that I'm saying it's it's about this primarily. It's not, um, 
but it's about like men reassessing what behaviors are are toxic mm-hmm. and what behaviors are 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 instilled in us in a in a poisonous bad way and what behaviors are are shunned in the same way and what behaviors are said that are not appropriate for for men or not behaviors not just behaviors but emotions and states of being that are not kind of appropriate or typical for, mm-hmm. for a man to have so i think it's great that, that that's all being broken down and that men can have a good old cry and stuff i, I, I saw on facebook today somebody put a, a screen cap from a children's book and it was a little hedgehog guy and it was like one of those kids books where you're first thing to learn to read mm-hmm. and it was i wanted to cry but i didn't uh, i was brave instead and they crossed out two of the lines it was i wanted to cry and they crossed out i so i didn't and said so i did I was brave, and then they crossed out instead mm. and wrote and sad, and like that's it. It is that's uh, that's exactly it, isn't it's gorgeous, it? It's, yeah. yeah, it was. It, it really got to me. It was yeah. like I was at a wedding. Yeah, uh, I was like, that's exactly it. There's no shame in anything that you feel. No, um, once it's not you know vindictive or, or or shitty towards other people, which is probably coming from a place of shame. Exactly. Weirdly. Yes. Trace that back. Right. Go further. Like the and it's also a great. Uh, tip as an actor when you're when you're uh, it's a, a book a great book Notes on Directing I'm not sure if Jenna mentioned it Frank Hauser wrote it Notes on Directing and it's great for actors I read it and it's just like bullet points and every one of them is a fucking revelation and one of them was if your if your actor is angry in a scene uh, trace it back because all anger comes from hurt yeah. and that's more interesting to play yes so if that's their first instinct to yell a line go no why are they angry and then go back in the scene to the point where the hurt was and then play it from there yeah and I mean that's a great I mean you should also apply that to life yeah but like it's a great way of of, of uh, looking at your emotions as having roots and having very definite um, genesis uh, I suppose in, in, in action or inaction you said earlier that you weren't always the best with emotional honesty and in like whatever way you believe you've improved in that or otherwise like what ha- what has been the things that have enabled you to do that or helped you uh, therapy yeah. is one I started seeing a therapist in uh, November, or October November and I was in a real bad place at the time uh, and, and the, the worst thing about it was that um, like I'd worked for the first time in my life I'd worked for six months non-stop as an actor on like five plays and I and I literally woke up one day in like like shaking, going, like I'm living the dream and I fucking hate it and I don't know why. I hate this and I hate myself and I don't know why I'm not happy. This is everything I've always wanted. And I was really just kind of miserable. I was like generally like I'm not known to be quiet, but I was I was monosyllabic and kind of lurching around. I was uh, in a, rehearsing a play at the time and I was reserving all of my energy for the for rehearsals and putting everything into rehearsals and then going home and collapsing on the couch and saying nothing. And I and I realized like I had I I've been I suppose I've been avoiding the idea of therapy for a long time because you know you think it's something I mean in a poisonous toxic uh, inherited way you think it's only something that broken people do mm-hmm. or the people who have problems do yeah. and I was like I don't have a problem I just need to sort it mm-hmm. I said I I'm, I don't have any problems I'm just I just need to kind of slap myself around the place but no it's been it's been revelatory I'm sure is the term that everybody tends to use. And it's great because it's just it's just about it's nearly what this is, Tom. I'm not gonna lie, this is like therapy as well. It's just talking. Yeah. It's it's freewheeling and it's talking about the first thing that comes to your head, and you just get to tie little knots in your head, going, "Oh, well, that's from that. Of course, that's from that." 
And it just, when it happens again, you go, no, no. Mm. I just did a finger gesture where you connect something like a dot. Um, so, yes, yeah, so that's been great. And that's that's allowed me, I'm, I'm in a much better place now than I was. And I think it's, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, yeah, that's that's been the major element of it, if I'm honest. Yeah. Um, and also, like, quitting a shitty job. Years ago, I was in a call centre that just drove me to, like, I was completely and utterly functionally and, and mentally depressed. I remember we were doing Cirque de Rev at the time and uh, I was working night shifts like seven 9pm to 7am three nights a week and go, wake, going home, sleeping for four hours, getting up, going to rehearsals, going back to night shifts. And I was working, I worked two night shifts during the first run of Cirque and I've never been, never been sicker. I was like just in bits and I was, and I came to the end of that year and uh we got a really good review for Cirque. I think it was the, the examiner.com. And I remember they said it, it was a five, like they gave us five stars and it said in the review, the cast are playing at the top of their game. And I remember sitting there and this is about being true emotionally. I nearly started crying. I read the review and I started, I, I teared up and I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I said to Jez, I'm nowhere near the top of my game. I'm nowhere near the top of my game. I'm bollocks. I'm barely functioning in this play and people think that this is as good as I get. It's not as good as I get. I can do better. Mm-hmm. And I quit the job. I sent I sent an email that day. I quit the job, uh, and it was the best thing I ever did, because it's allowed me to kind of it's allowed me to to live the dream and to to function. And that's it. Having worked that job for three years or eighteen months, it felt like three years. Mm-hmm. Allowed me to save enough money to to live uh, relatively for a little while without a job. Yes. Um, so it was all to an end. But uh, yeah, no, I think I think things are good. Mm. I was talking to my buddy uh, uh, Kevin the other day and we were both like oh it's all mad and it's 2018 and, and everything's happening And but eventually we came around to the fact that nah, things are fine like, we're, like things are ticking over we're, we're all on a track we're all making work we're all doing what we want to do to a degree like don't lose sight of that don't lose sight of the fact that so many people want to do what we do and never do it uh, either out of fear or out of the inability or financial inability or whatever it, we're, we are among the luckiest people ever born going to loop back entirely to the broken millennial generation like yes we we, first world problems are definitely problems and they're nothing to be ashamed of you should never talk yourself down for not your suffering is no less uh, valid than anybody else's but it doesn't it does not mean that you um, you don't have to respect other people and what they're going through and I think that's entirely tied into what we do as artists uh, is respect and respecting each other but also respecting yourself and learning to kind of come to terms with, with who you are and what you're like, for better or worse, mm-hmm. and learning to fix what you don't like and celebrate what you do. And, uh, yeah, there you go. Kind of beautiful way to end it. <laughs> yeah, there you I go. There is uh, there's my, my guide to living. That was great. Um, would you do me a favour? Tell us, first of all, about the dates, all the practicalities of Trist at the project. I will. And then also maybe tell us a little bit about like the play or like why what you like about the play or why you think someone should go to the place. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Um, the play is called Trist, uh, T-R-Y-S-T. Trist uh, It's on in the Project Arts Centre in the Cube space from the 3rd to the 14th of April. Uh, that's the day after Easter Monday, I believe. Uh, for two weeks, we've got matinees on the Saturday at two thirty. The play starts at seven forty-five. The other nights, it's it's an hour, seventy minutes long. I think um, tickets are twelve to sixteen euro. Mm. Um, Trist is about a, a couple, uh, Matt and Steph, who are getting married a week from the day the play is set, and the and it's a morning. It's a Sunday morning. Uh, 
the night after a typical workman's blotto night and uh, their best friend slash head bridesmaid Rachel comes over and she is pregnant with Matt's child because the three of them had a consensual threesome some months, some weeks earlier uh, at a party and they were incredibly intoxicated and on various intoxicants and the play becomes a essentially a, a, an attempt to to win out uh Rachel wants to keep the baby and they uh don't necessarily want her to do that um and the practicalities of what their lives would be if they continue with this if they get married and she has his baby the the question the, the whole play is about them trying to reckon with what they've done and what their lives might be and how it's much easier to try and shut someone else down to preserve what you have than it is to kind of reckon with them as a person. Um, it's entirely... I mean, it's interesting now returning to a play I wrote through that I co-wrote with, which had a two and a bit years ago because it's definitely very much about turning 30 and very much about the fear of commitment to not just a, a long-term uh, partner mm-hmm. uh, but also the fear of commitment to regular heteronormative lifestyle of marriage, of children, of the traditional uh, constructs. Mm-hmm. Because there's several different ways the play can resolve itself in theory, yeah. and all of them are thankfully uh, mostly well, all but one are on the table for people in Ireland. And hopefully, by the time the play closes in May, uh, every option will be on our table. Yeah. Um, uh, the best thing I could say about Tris is that hopefully by the end of the year, large plot points of it will be redundant and will be something we look back on and laugh about. Yeah. Can you ever imagine that that was an, that was something we had to do? Yeah. It's really weird to write a play about that and not look back in a play and go, can you ever imagine that people were treated like that? Like, it's literally something we're living through. Yeah. Uh, the fact that you have to get a boat uh, to get your, your medical treatment. But yeah, no, um, it's about friendship. It's about love. It's about relationships. It's about, it's about what a modern millennial attitude to relationships are and how we retreat into different versions of it when it's easy to do so. And um, it's about people going to nasty places to save what they think they are owed uh, and I think it's it's my not to big it up from a content point of view or what the play itself is like but it's my favourite type of play which is three or you know several actors in a room having the worst fucking time of their lives yeah. and you having to watch them and go oh I wonder would I have done something differently or would I have done the exact same thing or would I have thought that way it's just you know it's that kind of play. I love plays where you watch where you watch just what's uh, the Arthur Miller thing it's the the chickens come home to roost mm. like the play is the play is the moment where everything that they've done before catches up with them yeah and those are the best ones to watch uh, because you you get to see them panic live yeah. and you get to see them reckon live and that's what theatre is it's it's a live reckoning with stuff love it man. with lots of stuff <laughs> so yeah if you like right rec- if you like reckoning with stuff live and uh, seeing other people do so come see Trist yeah 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> man amazing Finn Bardo thanks for playing personality bingo thanks very much Tom Hey, Tom Moran <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't have been right without that uh... 
So guys, that was Finbar Doyle playing Personality Bingo with Tom Moore. And Finbar, a massive thank you to you for taking the time to do it. If you are listening, I know you're flat out. We're at rehearsals for the wonderful Trist. Uh, as I said, that is kicking off on April 3rd, running until the 14th at the Project Art Centre in the Cube. Trist was a massive success at the Fringe a couple of years back. I urge you to go get tickets. It's a really exciting time in uh, Irish theatre. There's loads of new work happening uh, at the moment, uh, especially right now. Uh, as I said, my new play, Lyrics, is also going to be on almost identical dates um, to Trist, but no. No excuses. Uh, the t- tickets are super cheap for both shows. Um, both uh, relatively new companies uh, up and coming, and uh, it'd be wonderful to see you guys in. So go and support Trist at the Project Art Centre, and then pop down to us at Lyrics at the Theatre upstairs. It's on Eden Key. Couldn't be more central to uh, Dublin City Centre. Uh, it's above Lanigan's Pub, and the tickets for us are twelve fifty max. Uh, sometimes they're cheaper for other nights. All the details on my Twitter so go and check it out there also on the Theatre Upstairs Twitter uh, and on uh, their website theatreupstairs.ie guys as I said I've brought a lot of time and uh, just heart into the play and I'd love to share with you guys that's why we make this stuff and I'd love to know what you all think uh, it's starring the wonderful Danielle Galligan and myself and the brilliant Romana Testaseca at the helm as well as a deadly 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 design team which I'll talk a little bit more about um, later on uh, maybe next week um, in other news guys yeah that's it um, Romeo and Juliet has finished as I said I'm uh, recording this from the bathroom of the Mill Theatre so if it sounds weird I do apologise but uh, it's just been such a busy time um, for me uh, but before I get let go, a few uh, quick thank yous. Um, first of all, a really, really massive thank you to the wonderful Taz Kelleher who has left us a personality bingo. That makes it sound like she's died. She hasn't. She's just moved onwards and upwards. Um, we kind of had the feeling this might happen, but Taz is like such a prolific uh, producer. And well, personality bingo is a wonderful and successful podcast in its own right. There are bigger podcasts in the Head Stuff Podcast Network. That is just a fact. And uh, it's only right that um, Taz, being um, such a wonderful producer, gets another wonderful show uh, that she's going to try and elevate to the next level, like she did with personality bingo. And she is moving on to a couple of new podcasts on the the network. Um, so I just want to wish Taz all the best with that. Uh, a really heartfelt thank you for all the work she's done. And um, for the last time, a massive thank you to the boss woman, Taz Kelleher, for um, being part of Personality Bingo from day one. Um, but when one door closes, another one opens, and I'm delighted to say that Erin Lindsay is stepping in um, to be the new producer of Personality Bingo. So a massive thank you and a massive welcome to the Personality Bingo family. Erin, um, the transition's been seamless thus far. Erin's um, an absolute doe. has been doing a brilliant job, uh, and she is now going to be mixing, editing, and producing the podcast. So a massive thank you to you, Erin, for all the work that you're doing and that we're going to embark on together over the next few months. I'm really, really excited. As always, a massive thank you to Conor Nolan for the wonderful artwork, to Liam Moore and Anthony Manley for the deadly, deadly theme music, uh, and to Alan and Paddy for having us uh, as part of the Head Stuff uh, Podcast Network. I'm so happy to be here, and um, I'm delighted that you guys are enjoying the podcast. Please do me a favour, come see Lyrics, and then tune back in next week. <coughs> that was a real sneeze, uh, I'm going to leave it in. Uh, and tune back in next week for another wonderful episode of Personality Bingo with Tom Moran. If you want to support this podcast and get a full ad-free episode, sign up to Headstuff Plus.